0: So if I put you on the spot, a quick or a high level definition of circadian rhythm.
1: Your body wants the clock to be closer to 25 hours than 24. So therefore, if you don't reset it every day, it will drift. The best way to reset it with light. Light goes through the optic nerve, goes to the penile gland, goes down to the base of the, the brain. There's a group of nerves there called the suprachiasmatic nucleus nerves and they actually are what controls all the hormones in in our body. Some of those hormones wake us
0: up, some of those hormones
1: put us to sleep.
0: Optimize performance through adapting your physical, psychological, and emotional state. Hi, it's Andrew and welcome to another edition of the Performance Intelligence Podcast, the podcast about all things human performance. And for regular listeners, today's guest needs no introduction. It's Dr. Tom Buckley, with two of his episodes ranking in our top five episodes in the previous year. They include the most popular episode for 2023, The Science of Cold Water Therapy and Deciphering What is Fact, Fad and Fiction. You can listen to that. It's episode number 45. And the third most popular episode of the year, which was The Science of Burnout and How to Become Burnout Proof, which is episode number 58. This week, we dive into the science of circadian rhythm, the internal biological clock that dictates our sleep wake cycles and influences multiple aspects of well being, especially energy levels. Dr. Tom Buckley is a leading expert on the effect of stress on cardiovascular health, and he prescribes a functional medicine approach to optimise performance intelligence, free sins. He's been by my side for the past 20 years. That's a long time, Thomas. Welcome to the podcast.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. It's always a good reminder of what age we are when you say 20 years. <laughs>
0: I always judge it by your eldest son, Liam. Mm-hmm. And when you tell me he's driving, he's left school, he's got a trade, I'm like, oh, I have this vortex. That, that was all 10 years ago. It's not. But hey, let's get into the now last night. I was at a workshop. You were going to join me, but I think you were having a couple of beers or beverages with your buddies. Dr. Andrew Huben was in Sydney talking about the brain-body equation. There were thousands of people there last night. On Saturday night, there were apparently thousands of people at the Opera House, and a big part of his message is biological clock and circadian rhythm. So I think it's very topical, this conversation today
1: yeah absolutely i'm going to correct you though i wasn't out having beers i was actually out in nature with my buddies on bikes but which is quite quite close to what we're going to talk about today and uh, it's you know circadian uh biological clocks um but yeah uh, i can imagine that would have been an amazing event from a, a scientist that needs no introduction
0: What I love seeing that Huberman's done is he's really made science popular, whereas when you and I started talking about this 20 years ago, we were the nerds or I was more the jock with Big Joe's hands and you were the nerd with lots of big words and frameworks and equations and then we found a really nice sweet spot and then you see Huberman and go, hats off to you, Dr. Huberman. Just a beautiful blend between science and storytelling and it shows how much the whole discussion has shifted. That's why we're having a discussion today and we got online just to cull this because we've actually realised this is three separate podcasts in one. And rather than doing what you and I used to do, trying to shoehorn it all in, episode number one today is going to be on the science of circadian rhythm, sleep and boosting energy. We'll come back in a month or so. We'll do one on jet lag. Really topical right now because later this week, mainly seagulls hop on a plane, fly over to Las Vegas. So our head of performance, John Clark or JC, is doing some work with the players as well about how to adapt their circadian rhythm. You and I have had multiple, dozens, hundreds of conversations. Over the years. So, we'll do a separate one on jet lag and also shift work. So, we're going to do a three part series on this. And this is the first one around understanding the utility, how it links to sleep and overall energy levels. So, we'll talk about circadian rhythm, why it's so important number one. Two, that interrelationship. You call this that three way triangle between circadian rhythm, between sleep and energy output. And we love talking about a symphony of clocks. Number three, this is the first time we've spoken about this in a public forum. Dr. Tom, are you ready? Beef up the big biological fuck up. That's the title of our book that we're working on, which we hope to have, which we plan, which we will have out to people within the next 12 months. And today, we're going to touch on exposure theory, social jet lag, and also mental health challenges around this big biological fuck up. And then we're going to give people the real fix, what to do of a morning to reset and anything else that comes in between. You happy with that frame, or do you want to adapt that as we go?
1: Nope, I can roll with that Andrew and I think it's a really good frame because it's so easy to jump straight into jet lag it's so easy to jump straight into shift work I think one of the things that absolutely has appalled me for years is that even in shift workers most shift workers probably don't understand what circadian rhythms are what the how the biological clock works so I think it's very easy to jump into shift work talk about tell people what to do and tell people what to do with jet lag. But actually, this is a daily, daily challenge for us as humans.
0: And it's not just shift workers, although it immediately comes to mind, we'll have to check with our friends on News Breakfast who I did speak to and they openly spoke about the work that you and I have done with them. So Michael Rowland and Lisa Miller. Mm. Hello, Michael and Lisa, the host of the wonderful News Breakfast show on ABC. That's shift work. A lot of people don't think because they get up early. We often think that shift work is just working through the night. (gasps) I've done it. We're talking about shift work. Let's go to what we're going to talk about today. We knew this would happen. Number one, Let's assume I've got no idea about this. So I'm listening and I'm a little bit confused because there's so much info out there. Put us on the straight and narrow, Dr. Buckley. What is circadian rhythm and why? Why is it so important?
1: Well, let's go back Go back and think about human beings. You know, life's evolved 2.5 billion years ago. Can you, compre- can you comprehend that? 2.5 billion years ago. I just can't get my head around that. Um, but the reality is, as humans have evolved over that time, In a 24-hour world you know in a a day that's a 24-hour and what we've learned in the last you know sort of 50 60 years in particular from a science perspective is that it's not just humans that evolved it's like bacteria plants animals all are synchronized as a 24-hour world so when we talk about circadian rhythm or when we talk about internal biological clocks we're really talking about this way that the, us as humans synchronize to this 24-hour world. Now, the word circadian is a Latin word for circadian, which really means approximately a day. And what we now know um, is that at a basic level, this circadian rhythm with all these internal clocks we're going to break down in a few minutes controls our eating, our sleeping and our mating. So if we think about how we've actually evolved as humans, we are totally reliant on the environment in relation to when we eat, when we sleep. And I was gonna say dating, but actually the literature <laughs> the literature says mating.
0: I'm going through the the alphabet on A, B, C, D, E, F oh, I, keep going to, I love how you said mating and I wanted to let you run. Yeah. Mating. Who says mating? Do, do do any of your friends ever say, Oh, how's have you been mating lately? I really hope
1: not. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm very aware that your children listen to this podcast, as do mine. So I'm being, sele- being selected with my, But I think there are some really, really important experiments that happened in the sort of 1930s and 40s, which, for me, I think everybody should know about. Uh, the Dr. Daniel Pittman, he was at University of Chicago, and he went into a cave for 42 days because what he was really interested in you know when i think about how innovative this was he was really interested to know do our internal organs and our internal body clocks do they still work when we remove the environment and what he discovered was he lived for 42 days in other words his body did continue to function and and that was it might seem like such a basic thing but actually it really needed to be done to, to sort of move the science forward and then sort of godfather of biological clocks and, and circadian rhythms is a, mm-hmm. a guy called Dr. Colin Pittenberg. And he did he did a lot of research. And what he put together with Pittman discovered is that if you remove the environment, light, particularly light and clocks, and those cues we have every day, you actually lose one day in about every 40 to 42 days. So what what will happen is that you will naturally wake up later, um, you'll be able to sleep later, naturally. Uh, some 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 studies, bigger studies sense have su- su- suggest about half an hour a day. Um, what I found in those early studies it was almost one and a half hours lost each day.
0: I go back to Pittman, I first heard about him in my 20s, Dr Tom, so we're going back 25 plus years. Exercise physiology, Dr. Paul Batman was talking about the research he'd done, like, that cave experiment, it's, it's mm. famous, right? And when yeah, I think yeah. about that, I travel overseas regularly, I'll be going to Vegas late March for a, a big boxing bout, and already I've been talking to Shannon about what time I land, uh, to get there in the morning get some sunlight all the protocols we'll talk about flying back ideally overnight so um, optimizing sleep so we 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 know that and we'll get to that how you use circadian rhythm to help you rather than hinder but i, I just think of that 42 days that's full on right? like you know, we, we get jet lag we get social jet lag just after weekends right that's why everyone's fueling up on coffee on a monday morning but 42 days without light that's a huge experiment I can't remember whether Dr. Batman covered this. I'm not sure whether it was in the research. What were the side effects? So he obviously did it to look at the whole suprachiasmatic nucleus, how our body responds to light. Were there any adverse side effects that he had from that study?
1: Not long-term. I mean, there certainly were mood disturbances. Um, and I think, you know, digestion and all our eternal systems that are so reliant on reset started to dysregulate. But there's no long term effects in that time frame. But can you imagine going, you know, a year or two year in that scenario? And then you would get massive decrements in health. I think we will talk in a minute about when we become desynchronized or when we have this chronic sort of social jet lag, which you alluded to there, where where your your body clock is actually continuously being challenged with our Western world, then you do get side effects. And we know them since, you know, we we know what they are. And and it's not just cognition and tiredness. There's actually some significant higher risk of disease and illness. I think what these studies brought out was that the primary regulator for our internal body, for our internal physiology is actually light. And uh, it really highlighted that it is life that resets us every day, otherwise, we will drift. And, and we kind of know that because when you go on holidays, um, there's two areas where you notice. Know one is when you go on holidays, there's a tendency to go to bed later, sleep up later, you know, and, and that can just continue over a two week thing where suddenly, two, 3am is bedtime and, you know, 11am 11, 11 is wake up time. And that just happens naturally. And yeah, there's obviously social elements to doing that as well. But the other area where you see this a lot is in teenagers. So teenagers tend to yep. want to go to sleep a lot later, and they suffer a lot more from what's called sleep phase delay. Um, and if we if we really look at that carefully, you know, without jumping to on on scientific conclusions, there's a strong association. At that, teenagers are very prone to that at that age, but they're also very prone to mood disturbance, to anxiety um, at that age. So it's a very you're so, not
0: telling me anybody listening to this or anyone talking to you at the moment who has teenagers might find that their moods are disturbed, especially on a Monday morning when they've got to get up and get ready for school and they haven't made their lunch and they're running late for the bus and it's raining and your parents are assholes. No, well, We're, I think from where do you get this evidence, Dr. Buckley?
1: Well, I'm being very, very careful here. And there's a reason I'm being very careful because on on we do joke about this, you know, and I have a teenager, and so if you know, not one on the way, and I know you do. So so we do joke about this about teenagers not wanting to go to sleep and having mood, but actually it's a very, very prone age, that age between sort of 14 and 24. It's a very, very prone age to that actually becoming significant uh mood disturbance and even possible self-harm so i think you know just putting the two of them together the association there is important us as adults we do a lot of things for ourselves that put us into that sort of social jet lag that we talk about so so i don't want to trivialize it but there is there is really strong evidence that you know it does start when we're younger and as you know when we're younger we need a lot more sleep and as we get older we need a lot less so things change over time these body clocks are not static or set for life
0: i respect the the seriousness of that and to not make lightheartedness of that with your kids you altered me very quickly then dr tom i thought i delayed It is a really important time, isn't it, as a parent, to make sure you're getting the right information for your kids. And I think that's one of the bonuses when we start talking. This will be one of the outcomes we said that we didn't have. Understanding biorhythms or your biological clock, one for you, but two... Having that understanding as a parent is really important. I'm doing some work with my kids now around this, with rules around technology. And Dr. Christy Goodman, when she came on the podcast, gave some great rules around that as well. Can I also just rewind back on holidays? Because that's one that I have had, dozens, hundreds, hundreds of conversations and we didn't put this in the start, you know, where are we coming from the experience of this podcast? Yeah, there's research, a real rigour that that you bring to this with your research, the rigour that I've done in exercise, fears, and coaching psych, but we collectively have worked with thousands, I reckon up over tens of thousands with our corporate programmes around these topics so we've been in the field with thousands and thousands of people to get some of the models, some of the programmes we're talking about and the one that really resonates whenever I'm talking about this, Tom, whether it's executives, leaders, or graduates. As you talk about holidays, especially after Christmas, I guarantee everyone fell in a heap. Yeah, yeah. And then you have what's called a free running cycle because you don't have those normal cues to wake up and go to work and reset with sunlight and movement and other cues. You tend to go to bed 20 or 30 minutes later every day. And I'm sure we're going to get into this, but that circadia, you said is the Latin word, around a day. But our internal clock is actually longer than 24 hours. It's about 24.2 to 24.3, depending on the research. So that explains that free running cycle. When you don't go to bed at the same time and get up and reset, by the end of a two or a three-week holiday, you're going to bed past midnight, you're getting up at 8 or 8.30, then you go back to work and you feel like a pile of proverbial because you've got to get back into sync because you're out of rhythm. So your whole clocks, not just your circadian clock, but your reproductive clock, your biological clocks, your clocks that do mood and wakefulness and eating, they're totally, totally out of rhythm.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. We 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 need to we need to think of this human body as not just one piece of meat. We need to think of it as billions of cells. And all those cells have their own clock. Just think about it. All those cells have their own sort the of internal body clock. And so they have to get synchronized. So they you know you, you've heard me say this many times andrew that you know one of the most dangerous things we do in the day is to get out of bed yeah you know, because we shift so much of our physiology and we need to remember that all every cell is genetically being switched on or off and there's proteins involved in that interestingly that that the main protein that's involved in that is called a clock protein uh probably not coincidence it's called the top protein But we do need to synchronize all those cells, so they need to get triggered, then they need to get synchronized, and then they need to coordinate it into the biological function. So we really do have this regulation. And what people need to remember is that it's not just about making our organs function. It actually regulates our metabolism and how we fuel our energy levels. And what we do early in the morning actually affects the rest of the day and that night's sleep. So... It really is a, a, an amazing system when you break it down, but every single cell has a body clock and every single one of them has to be regulated. And interestingly, light is the primary regulator. Um, now that brings special challenges uh, for many, many individuals. But once you understand that, you can actually start to unravel a lot of the signs and symptoms that probably result in the long queues I see outside coffee shops every morning you know where we're actually trying to do something about this but intuitively may or maybe non intuitively we're not thinking about what we're actually
0: doing great for baristas not great for your physiology and potentially not great for your longevity or mental health so can we just put a flag or a quick summary if you're in an elevator with someone and i hate that whoever says to you in an elevator wizard hey give me your pitch it's an elevator summary but you're talking to someone dr tom or you're in a media interview and they go right okay we've got breaking news insert whatever the breaking news is. We'll make it something around weather. Try not to be too political on that. So there's something happening in the weather, Dr. Tom. You've got 90 seconds. We had a five-minute segment on circadian rhythm. So you've got the 60 to 90 seconds. What is your circadian rhythm as a summary? And then let's get into that three-way relationship between circadian rhythm, sleep and energy output. So if I put you on the spot, a quick or a high-level definition of circadian rhythm is... Your body wants
1: the clock to be closer to 25 hours than 24. So therefore, if you don't reset it every day, it will drift. Your body will drift. If you the best way to reset it with light, why light? Light goes through the optic nerve, goes to the penis gland, it goes down to the base of the, the brain. And in the in, uh, part in the hypothalamus, there's a group of nerves there called the SCN nerves or supracasmatic nucleus nerves. And they actually are what controls all the hormones in, in our body. Some of those hormones wake us up. Some of those hormones put us to sleep. Um, if we're really, really conscious of that. We need light to wake up in the hormones, dopamine, serotonin. We need to get rid of light to switch on the sleep hormones, melatonin.
0: Love it bing elevators off at 23rd level now i can talk to you about thank you because i really like drawing out and looking at the background the etymology or epitomology of these different areas but then i wanted to give people a really Good, succinct summary. Now we can talk about the relationship between that clock, which wants to run around 25 hours. We need to reset every day. Obviously, then a link between sleep and energy output. And you're talking about light. At the time of recording, I'm looking outside, there's just been a massive storm. So the storms are coming, but also the winter is coming. So it's going to be darker of a morning. And you look at seasonal affective disorder in the Nordic States and down south as well around the Antarctic. So hugely important. Talk to me about light. What does light do to the body to give us that kickstart every single day?
1: Well, once we're exposed to light uh, through the eyes, remember the eyes are the most external part of the brain. So once we get light there back through the optic nerve, uh, back into the plane of land, down to the base of the the brain, it actually switches on all the mechanisms of hormone secretion that actually rev the body up, so to speak. And those hormones are really important, like cortisol, which gives us bundles of energy. Uh, You know, we know those levels go up in the morning. We know they drop in the afternoon, go up again in the early evening, which is where our energy levels come from. Dopamine, which is a mood regulator and and serotonin, these hormones are all stimulated by that light. Now, what's really important with light is that not all lights are equal. So you're saying about the storm out there, well, we know you need about a 1000 lux for at least 20 minutes in the morning to optimize your uh, bio- biological or to re- optimize resetting your biological clock. So the reality is in a very, very bright kitchen, it's probably only about four or 500 lux. Now that might vary in, in different households. In an office, it's probably around three four hundred lux. So we can't really rely just on artificial light to optimise. Now, of course, those lights do trigger and do help. You know, way better than being in the dark. But it's not necessarily enough just from artificial light.
0: Hey, it's me. Just a quick note, I'd love you to subscribe to the Performance Intelligence Podcast. And I know, you probably hear this on so many other podcasts, and like me, you switch off. But can I ask you to please go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe? And while you're there, extra bonus, leave a rating and review. That's it. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. I feel like I'm always asking you on research... So can you throw to me on this and say something like, Andrew, have you ever seen any research that would purport that or that would back that up of a morning that it's really important to get the light outside rather than through a window?
1: So Andrew, have you you read any research in relation to... Light from indoors versus light from outdoors
0: oh, oh, oh. or even even light through a window. Great question, Dr. Tom. <laughs> I'm so glad you, you asked that. Wizard, can you believe that he he asked me that as well? I only gave him a subtle lead. In preparation for this, we looked at some of the research because I hear this a lot and you hear this a lot. People go, oh, I get my morning while I'm having a cup of tea through the window in the kitchen. You know, I'm there near the plants and they say it's good to be near nature and stuff. So I'm there and I've got the sun coming on me. It's 50, times less effective getting that sunlight through a window than it is either through open doors or getting out on your balcony or going down into the street to buy your coffee, rather than having it inside under those artificial lights. And the main reason is because the wavelengths of blue light are essential for stimulating the eyes. As you said, the the eyes are the most external part of the brain. When I learned that way back in exercise physics, I was like, no, the, the brain's this internal thing. No, no. Eyes are there as your fear mechanisms as well and, and focusing on what's coming for survival. So it absolutely makes sense that they are that external part of your brain. So the light is the cue to wake that up. That's a huge one I find, Tom coaching individual. Now we're taking a lot of our coaching programs online. More information coming up on that next term. I don't know how many emails, messages I get every week. Shannon's sick of it. People saying, can you do a coaching program and don't have enough time? Sorry. So we're going to make an online coaching program, 12 weeks with all this info, more more info coming back to you about that soon. Really excited. You're going to get access to Dr. Tom, me, a whole bunch of experts on that. But back to the conversation, I don't know how many times I've said to people, you've got to get outside. So either open the window, or get outside and get that light and as much exposure on your skin as possible. The joke I often make, if I'm in a safe place, is as much skin exposure as possible, but do wear pants because you get locked up.
1: I'm so pleased you said that. Um, especially the last bit. You're you're 100 percent right. I mean, I think the the there's many reasons to get sunlight. You know, you want you want to get it on your skin for vitamin D synthesis, but just purely from a circadian reset it's just really important to get that light into the eyes and early morning is better too because the sun is less likely to do any damage to your eyes it's really interesting though andrew if you're wearing sunglasses um, you, you're blocking off a lot of that effect, so a lot of people walk out to walk the dog with sunglasses on and a cap on for, you know, to, to stop wrinkles or protect their skin. But actually, you do need that 20 minutes. A thousand lux is on a dull day, so on a really bright day, you're going to be up to about ten thousand lux. Mm, and it's um,
0: really, really hard. So we're in the studio mm, now. Mm. We wouldn't be at ten thousand. I think you can get up around five or six thousand lux, but there's nothing like that bright light. And, and yeah, the, outside the burning hours, so of course, you've got to slip, slop, slap, sunnies and shade. So put on a hat and wear the sunnies. But in those early hours of the morning, and I've really changed the way I exercise. I always used to wear sunglasses. And for a while, I always used to wear a hat. But I really do make an effort on those as much skin exposure as possible. And pants. I said this recently at a talk on the Gold Coast, and not everyone, they didn't laugh. They're just like, hey, we're on the Gold Coast. Pants is optional. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Hello to all of our listeners on the Gold Coast. Seeing our stats recently, there's a whole bunch of people on the Gold Coast that listen to this. We love it. But I've really changed my protocol on that to move, to get that. 20 or 30 minutes every single morning, not high intensity exercise, take the dog for a walk, walk up the road. If you are gonna get a coffee, you might push it back, we'll talk about that. But getting that light exposure on as much skin as possible, no hat, no sunnies, outside the burn hours, gosh, it makes a difference. So we can talk about the research, but I can tell you N equals one and working with so many people, we get every time we do an online program, corporate program, when we come back in for the check-in whiz, how many people to say, oh, I'm getting that light exposure stuff. I feel amazing. What's going on? And Dr. Thomas explained the utility. Your body's waking up properly rather than needing a pump it full of caffeine and other stimulants.
1: Yeah. Look, 90% of people who... I have worked with who were, were sleep and has been an issue. 90% of that is fixed if you fix the morning. The other 10% is often outside of behavioral and it may actually be some sort of med- medical issue that needs to be addressed. So I think, you know, we've got to start thinking early in the morning about setting our physiology up to succeed. Just one interesting caveat actually. there was a study showing that if you do wear sunnies in that early morning and block the light here, you know, any not optimizing your circadian rhythm but actually the gut bacteria in your gut are different and you're less likely to be able to synthesize certain vitamins and stuff so it just shows how all our internal body and all our all our different cells body clocks we are so dependent on that light reset in the morning
0: i think you said in a recent podcast that our physiology is 200 years behind the technology and where we are. So we're still on an operating system. We haven't had the iOS upgrade from 200 years ago. So you look at the way the world has changed, artificial light, mobile phones, just killing that relaxation response before you go to bed. Everything now we're wired up on our sympathetic nervous system, yet our physiology is 200 years behind. The more of this we teach, Tom, we've said this collectively – This should be 101 or if you had fundamental building blocks when you join an organisation and look at the organisations we work with, defence, education, banking and finance. Wouldn't it be nice if you had core modules when people start work or let's go even back further, wouldn't it be good if you learnt this stuff at school so you actually know about this operating system called U-Inc as a human being and there's biology and physiology and psychology and all the other ologies around it. Gosh, that would make a difference.
1: Yeah, I I firmly believe that this is at the heart of a lot of um, challenges that we have in human society. You, you know, we as a society, I think we are we are almost universally jet lagged day to day. And the proof of that are the queues outside the coffee shops. You know that people are are rebooting their 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 physiology every day using using coffee you know heavily caffeinated coffee now we can get into the weeds on that if you like um you know i'm not here to diss coffee but the, the the level of dependency on coffee is substituting and i can talk to you about if, if you want to know about the physiology about what the coffee is doing and and, and why people are using it but, but before you do
0: i just do an audio check wizard can you hear that in the background i can hear a building i People are yelling and screaming. They are just like ranting. How dare Dr. Tom Buckley talk about disconnecting, disassociating myself with caffeine. Now, before you get into a little caffeine hissy fit, ladies and gents, I like personally, two or three coffees a day. Dr. Tom doesn't drink coffee. You drink tea. Strong tea can be 60 to 80 milligrams of caffeine. Uh, a standard coffee is about 100 to 120. So about that 300 milligrams a day is okay. Beyond 300 milligrams, most researchers or experts in this field would say you have a caffeine dependency. So we're not saying not to drink coffee, okay? We want to push that back. But before we give people the pushing back caffeine, here, yeah, let's talk about what that does, that dependency, when you're not getting natural sunlight to stimulate the body, when you're not moving naturally and waking up and 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 if I get out of the science because you know you and I love getting into the science and in the weeds on it if I give people just a basic definition on this look at your dog yeah, look, look at your cat what do they do every morning they stretch and they move yeah hopefully they go and dump on the grass outside, not on the balcony. Good thing made about moving to a house with a backyard. (laughs) Bit of a visual there. Uh, uh, But your animals start to move. They don't wait there while you're making a coffee to say, oh, look, I'll become a dog or a cat or an animal or whatever sort until I have my caffeine. So we've totally stuffed it up. You know, Animals around us give us cues on what you do in a natural setting. We've totally stuffed up the natural setting, and then we need caffeine. All right, I'll get off my hobby horse.
1: So the reason people get into hobby horses, and just like you did, Andrew, is that I think people are actually addicted to caffeine physiologically. Um, they will tell you they enjoy it. They will tell you it's social. They'll tell you it's a highlight of the day. But actually, what we do know from the studies is that people who habitually drink coffee—they all they're trying to do is return their physiology to the level of people who don't drink coffee. So they're not using it as a performance-enhancing. Um, stimulant like you like like you could do you're actually using it as to substitute for what you would get naturally if you didn't drink coffee
0: if you're not using the natural reset
1: if if you're not using natural reset and so if we i, I call it this we have this clash between the social clock which is how we need to get going and be productive and get to work and get the kids out and all these things and I, i'm there too you know i'm like everybody else listening to this you know there are social, there's a social clock you have to hit. And that doesn't always mirror the environmental clock. And usually it doesn't mirror the biological clock. And so we've learned to bypass that using stimulants. Remember that, remember that coffee is a is a, a psychoactive drug, psychoactive drug. We, we, we kind of tend to forget that and we tend to think of it as this natural product. Um and that's okay as long as we're accepting that. But what we're actually doing is People have become dependent on it. Now, Andrew, you and I know people that we've worked with that when you actually detox from caffeine, it can be 9, 10 days of intense headaches. It can actually be quite unpleasant. And that just demonstrates how how addicted we are and the effect it has on the blood vessels, the effect it has on the brain, which gives headaches, et cetera. So anybody who's in that scenario should recognize immediately that they're using coffee and what what caffeine is actually doing. And actually, we we think it's not just the caffeine. Uh, We think it's other things in the coffee as well, which are not in tea. There are polyphenols and different things in tea that balance that a lot more. Of course, I would defend tea because I drink tea. But if you drink enough tea, you'll get the same effect of coffee, of course. But what we do know is that it it affects the adenosine receptor. Now, adenosine is like the brakes. Um, it's like the breaks in the body. And as we are waking up through natural processes, and as all the body clocks are waking up and, and we've got all the mechanisms trying to synchronize, adenosine is a thing that's kind of holding things back to, to wake up nice and slow. And of course, when you take coffee and you kick adenosine off the receptor and you immediately take the breaks off, which is why people love coffee because you're instantly awake. You know, Some people more than others, depending on your genetic traits, But you're you're awake, you're alert, you feel good. All the happy hormones come up. But like a lot of stimulants, there's a downside. And, And so all you're doing here with the coffee is actually replicating what you could do naturally. And what we do know is that people who are in that scenario then generally sleep about an hour less than if they didn't. So we know that people who habitually drink high levels of coffee sleep about an hour less than those that don't. And so, that, that, so we call that social jet lag. And that social jet lag is is associated with many things. We know that people who, who are in that scenario, they drink more alcohol, they have higher cortisol levels, they have lower melatonin, lower sleep hormone levels, they have higher leptin levels, so it affects, affects our digestion, it affects our appetite. And likewise, we know that they drink more and more coffee because the more you drink, the more you need to drink.
0: So coming in for those coffee drinkers, hello, welcome back, get on the Andy bus. <laughs> Two or three caffeines a day, as long as it's not a strong Turkish or Greek coffee. Ideally, don't have coffee first thing in the morning. Wake up like your cat, like your dog. Wiz, how does a turtle wake up? Do they stretch and have a routine or are they just low energy all day? Wiz, it's got turtles. Oh, mine's pretty energetic, so. Pretty energetic turtle. Gets up, does aerobics, does, yeah, yeah. does a couple of great fun. Does he really wake up every morning, your turtle? I don't know. Every t- he's usually awake by the time I wake up. What's your turtle's name? Spike. Spike. All right. Can you just do a bit of a research study? We'll come back on this. Does Spike shift his biological clock like cats and dogs and other animals? But getting to the point, Tom, those that want coffee, push it back push it back 60 to 90 minutes, ideally 90. So wake up naturally. There's another mechanism we need to give people when you get caffeine out of your system, because caffeine has a half-life of six to seven hours. Meaning if you have a strong coffee at 3 p.m. at night or at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, you're still going to have half of that caffeine in your system at 10 p.m. that night. So basic rule that we've taught for you is tea with flowers after three. So cut out the caffeine at 2 or 3 p.m. in the afternoon. So if you're going to drink coffee and still get your circadian rhythm in sync or in balance – Find your wake-up time, do the natural reset, have a coffee 90 minutes after that. You might have one mid-morning, and if you really needed one, maybe even just go to a decaf or have a light one after lunch. You will still not then add the one hour. From all the research we've done, mate, measuring sympathetic nervous system, people who have that caffeine earlier in the morning, most people, some people, it triggers them, but for most people, you'll still be able to get in sync with your circadian rhythm and drink a little bit of coffee. Agree? Disagree?
1: uh I look I I could go here and and, um you know I'll upset all my friends and family and yourself and my wife and everyone but there's nothing physiologically as a scientist and there's nothing normal with having to have three coffees a day two if you can't go a day without a coffee then you you're physiologically addicted to something you are needing it to plug holes. And I think if you can't go backwards to work out what those holes are, then you just continue plugging. And the more you do it, the more you do it, the more you need it. You know, if you look at coffee sales, they, they go up was it, they go up 600% every seven to eight years. So what is that telling you as a society that we are more and more out of sync with with the environment, with our body clock, and we are more using more and more stimulants. And and if you map coffee sales, and you know, it's getting controversial, but if you map coffee sales and you put it alongside processed foods and you put it alongside you know, anxiety levels, sleep problems and all that, they all go into one direction.
0: Well, it's what we're talking about with the, the big fuck up, right? We are less active, eating more processed foods. We're more depressed and more medicated than ever before. That's part of the big biological fuck up. Geez, I was jumping on the edge of the seat then I was gonna jump down your throat. and go, No, no, Tom, two or three is okay. Here's my caveat. I will drink coffee because I like it and, and and I like it of a morning and there's something about waking up and I'll often buy one out. It's my daily warm-up. But here's what I've done. Tell me whether I'm clutching at straws or not. Over summer, every summer for the past, gee, 12 or 15 years, I go for a week, <laughs> give or take, where I don't drink coffee and, and I, I just say, do I actually need it? Am I waking my biology up? And, and a lot of caffeine drinkers will be listening to this going, oh, thank God Macy's talking about that. So I test myself regularly. And I've had periods, I think you said to me one time a couple of years ago, if you look, shit, are you okay? I said, mate, I'm fueling myself on caffeine. You said it shows. So I'll regularly get off it to see whether I need it or not. So am I clutching at straws physiologically? If I come off it for a week, does that mean I'm addicted to caffeine or is it just part of my socialising, part of my warm-up, my ritual and routine?
1: I think it's completely normal. And I think it's completely normal to enjoy a coffee and and I think it's just the world we live in. I think it's just the reason I highlighted is for us to think about this desynchronization between our the social clock and the biological clock and to recognize that we we will do these things to survive you know we 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 need to work to 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 live and we need to be able to work to live and, and sometimes we need to do these things you know whether it be particular foods or particular drinks including coffee to get us through the day i am i'm not criticizing that person but i went there for people to realize and sit and think that actually this is all related to how our circadian body clocks work and if you find yourself moving from one to two or you find you can't function without one you're actually substituting neurotransmitters in the body you're doing it artificially in the long term in the long term and i don't care what all, anybody can control me 20 30 studies about association between coffee and dementia association alzheimer's all these things they're all population-based self-reported association studies when we when i measure people's physiology after they've drank very strong coffee that there are physiological disruptions i see which in the long term are not good for you so whether whether it becomes an issue for one person and another will depend on your other risk
0: factors. You know, we've got a few sponsors coming up on the Performance Intelligence Podcast. Did you know that? I'm serious. I, I, right? did,
1: I didn't know that, but you're going to tell me now one of them's a coffee and i have to be quiet and they won't want Dr. Tom to be on your no, podcast Not at all.
0: Anymore. Timmy Hughes, I know you'll be listening to this, buddy. Uh, we can't wait to formalise our agreement for you as one of our first sponsors. I think we got a really nice blend there as well. And look, uh, sponsors are no sponsors. We are here to give people the right amount of information for performance intelligence. And part of PQ is knowing what works for you. So if I would do a quick summary on that, Dr. Tom is saying, do you really need caffeine? So many people are addicted. When you look at sales have gone up 500 to 600%, that shows one or two things. One, I'm an idiot for not buying a coffee franchise, which remember I was going to do 10 years ago? <laughs> True story. Uh, and number two, there's a problem and that's why we're talking about the big biological fuck up because people now are relying on all these exogenous external substances not going internal inside the well to tap it to get this beautiful synchronization. It's called homeostasis which is this beautiful balance between all your ologies as well. The social jet lag is one big part Tom we're going to write about in the beef up the big biological fuck up. Let's go to the start of it. Exposure Theory, in in Matchfit, you wrote, Although life expectancy rates have risen substantially over the past century, it has been hypothesized that our children will not live longer than us, meaning in years. What the? For two years in a row in both 2016 and 2017. And for the first time since 1960, life expectancy declined two-tenths of a year from 2015 onwards, while the death rate of people between the ages of 25 and 34 increased by 10%. Now, you wrote that four years ago in fast forward last year when there was global information about the US Surgeon General who had done an update that for the first time in history, children born today will live less years than their parents. So you predicted this four years ago. In fact, you predicted it three years before the US Surgeon General talked to me about exposure theory.
1: Well, I've always hypothesized that this would happen because in my study of public health and looking at prevalence of different disease states and the factors that contribute to premature mortality, so dying before you predictably should, it seemed really clear to me that that if you about 20 years of what I call toxic exposure seems to accelerate the onset of particular disease patterns that associate premature mortality, now. It seems when I look at my grandparents, a lot of our grandparents lived long. They went through lean times, and then it was only in the latter half of their life they were probably exposed to the technology and processed foods and a lot of what we now in a lot of Western worlds living. So just just jumping on that, a really good yeah. way to
0: ask. So Tom's talking about this, it's great all the science and exposure theory. When did you get your first mobile? Uh, Ask someone that. What age were you, our listeners, when you got your first mobile? So Wiz, how old were you when you got your first mobile phone? Uh, probably around 13, 14. 13. So you've had a lot more years of fucking up your biological clock than the old guy here with a shiny head. I was 21 and it was a Nokia Sport. wasn't very sporty. I had it on my hip, Tom. You've heard me say this. It looked like I had a wooden hip. I can <laughs> remember the first time it rang when I was at Rest Point Hotel Casino walking up the back through the kitchen. I was running the gym and it rang and I was so excited because one of the croupiers who I thought was a lovely young lady, there was a problem. I don't think she knew I existed. But my mobile phone rang and I just felt, so cool that I walked past Genevieve and my mobile rang and I picked it up and went in a really loud voice, hello, hello. <laughs> what a tosser. The one at Genevieve never, ever showed me any attention. So anyway, I was 21. How old were you, Dr. Tom? 29. You were 29 when you got your mobile? I
1: personally did not want to be connected. I personally did not want to be on the end of a photo where somebody could contact me at any time. That was my personal Uh, And so when I worked in a hospital, we had beepers. So people were contacted, they'd beep you, and then you'd find a public phone or hospital phone, phone and Mac. I think the bottom line, though, is that why it worries me and why we were predicting this is that our kids now are exposed from birth. And I think, you know, we, you and I, in our very early 50s, were exposed from we were exposed from our 20. Like yeah, pretty that, well
0: just I, turned 50. Like. I, I
1: put I, I did I did emphasize very for you, Andrew. Um we we were probably exposed for the last 20, 25 years. So uh, our parents probably exposed, you know, the same same duration. So it's not surprising that we are seeing young individuals in their teens with a lot of what I call old man diseases. And those things then do limit lifespan. They are all the things that limit lifespan. What what I think I would add to that now, you know, when we write our next update, our edition of MatchFit, is actually the the whole issue around the social clock and that's impact because that's probably having a bigger bigger impact on uh, our well being than perhaps we appreciated when we were first writing MatchFit.
0: Yeah. And in MatchFit, we wrote about the three components led led by you predicting this, and the US Surgeon General backed it up. So good prediction, mate. Three components we spoke about was overuse or abuse of the sympathetic nervous system, which is that question, how old were you when you got your first mobile? So if you imagine a kid gets a mobile now at eight or nine, and I'm guilty of this. Sometimes we'll go out with Tony, we're in a coffee shop, and Millie, who's two, gorgeous at times, other times a little monster. Uh, Wiggles, Wiggles, if you want to chat with your your wife, husband, partner, sometimes you'll give your kids technology so you actually have some quality time. I get it. But when I go out and I see people and just a whole restaurant has got kids on mobiles, I think, no, you're stuffing up your kids' whole rhythms, biological clock, social clock, everything we're talking about. So we spoke about three areas, overuse of the sympathetic nervous system, too much technology. Number two, is too many processed foods. And you look at like good produce now, how many people listening to this have done a shop recently like I did, went, oh God, a jar of like $10? Really? Like everything, the cost of living to have good food, healthy produce is so much more, whereas shitty processed fast food is still relatively cheap. And the third one is lack of activity. So if you stack those three, Too much technology, and you're always on sympathetic nervous system, you're not relaxing, parasympathetic, and you are not moving, and you're eating processed shitty foods, this is what's accelerating, this is what we call exposure theory.
1: Yeah, 100%, and we know that the sort of dyssynchrony of the circadian rhythm, we know that that's underneath a lot of, of chronic diseases. We know it's underneath cognitive decline which we know it's associated with things like diabetes, depression, etc. So so these these associations are 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 becoming more and more obvious in the literature. It is very, very hard though to unpack the sort of association from a cause and effect. Um, so so I think we're just going to be really aware that those associations are there biologically biologically and physiologically so from our biology and how our physiology works to me it's a no it's a no-brainer to me to me we don't need the studies to know that actually if you have these hormonal disturbances because you're out of sync with with the environment and your body clock is running on on negative and you're having to boost it up artificially that that you will you will see a degradation in health span and lifespan over time and the one thing that's probably, Propping it all up is modern-day medicine, keeping keeping us alive longer mm-hmm. than we would be.
2: Hi, it's Angela Poon. I'm thrilled to share some exciting news about the new venture Andrew and I have been working on together. Over the past five years, we've been managing two separate businesses, AndrewMay.com and Strivestronger.com, which has led to some confusion in the market. So to streamline our offerings and make it easier for our clients to engage with us, we've taken the best of both worlds through our learnings over the past few years, delivering large-scale programs to our corporate clients, and we have created the Performance Intelligence Academy. Based on invaluable feedback from our clients, this new offering provides a much clearer, scalable and more comprehensive solution. Now, our approach begins with an assessment of both the physical and psychological energy through our Live Life Score, as well as an evaluation of mental skills to establish a baseline through our mental skills calculator. From there, our performance toolbox serves as a personal coach in your pocket, providing resources and tools to enhance well-being, boost productivity, and develop leadership capacity. In this toolbox, we have engaging micro-lessons on influencing, coaching, energy optimization, personal productivity, and mental resilience. Our platform offers access to engaging webinars, community pages for networking, and a wealth of templates and learning resources. In addition to our digital offerings, we also specialize in hosting engaging events, including keynote presentations and workshops featuring a diverse range of presenters to keep participants energized and engaged. If you're looking to elevate the productivity and well-being of your team, we invite you to reach out to us. Whilst our new website will be launching in the coming months, you can inquire for more information through andrewmay.com. Stay tuned for further updates. Exciting things are on the horizon. So watch this space.
0: Two, Two things I want to jump down and then we will talk about circadian rhythm and mental health. You know, in preparation for this, we have a loose frame. It's called Plan Spontaneity and sometimes go down a river, hole and throw you a question that we didn't discuss. Here's one of those. When we talk about exposure theory, so overstimulation of the sympathetic nervous system, number one, two, too many processed, shitty, sugary foods, and three, lack of movement, what's that doing to kids' biological clocks or to kids' circadian rhythm?
1: Kids are interesting because we we know that when you're newborn, you need about 12 to 18 hours. Thank God for that you're saying. Um, newborns need about 12 to 18 hours sleep. We know teenagers need about nine to 10 hours sleep. And we know adults are somewhere around seven to eight. Um, We can talk about whether that's a myth or not in a second. But we also know that the in between the newborns and the teenagers, they're they're not necessarily getting the 10 hour sleep. So they are this constant sleep debt. And and we know that that that's happening more and more in younger people compared to sort of pre-technology areas. And, And so when you ask me what it's doing, the studies are quite clearly showing Associations of that with, um, you know, with sort of mood disturbance, with uh, cognitive decline. When I say cognitive like decline, inability to concentrate at school, irritability. You know, I, I, you see this rapid increase in young people's inability to concentrate, attention span. We've put nice diagnostic labels on on all of these things, but if we go back to the root cause. A lot of it actually is that we're pumping up physiology at a young age and the f- sleep architecture is becoming influenced all the time. And we're not optimising that, that sleep physiology in the way that perhaps we naturally would.
0: Now, I'm not going to be too provocative on this because there is a lot of research still to be had around areas like ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I can't help but think though, and and I'm building my own experience into this, knowing a lot of friends whose kids are on medication for ADHD, that we're totally stuffing up biological clocks. And when you say a lot of the, the mechanism around that time, the inability to focus, the inability to concentrate, we're not getting back to that homeostatic balance like we're meant to. I can't help but think we've got this seesaw where we're just stuffing up basic physiology. And even from a parent, I, I, you, you've seen me do this when I do a presentation and, and I like to be a little bit provocative and go, all right, who in the audience has kids in their immediate or extended family? Like, Have oh, they got kids and your family or your know, friends, family, and, and you have connection with kids? You know, a lot of hands go up. Who loves their kids? Yeah, people joke you know, most of the time. From what you've just said now, I'm going to go a step further. I think if you love your kids most of the time, if you don't give your kids who have no idea about what Albert Bandura talks about with self-efficacy, so that, that power to make the right decisions. If you don't give your kids some rules and guidelines, especially on technology and mobile phone use, up until the age of 15 or 16, that horse has bolted, it's gone away. I had a really interesting, and it was an emotional conversation two weeks ago, a lady I used to work with, lovely lady, got three kids, and she rang me and asked me, and just talking about her teenage daughter, who's 16. And as I said this to her, Tom, there's a part of me that felt, God, I sound like such a negative Nancy. And there was a part of me going, gosh, we've got to get this out more and we're going to talk about this in the, the beef up, the big biological fuck up. I think we've just let the tech companies run rampant and the phones are taking over the brains of our young kids. And I think as parents, we need to put a a flag in the sand and go, right, we know our kids need tech for connection. We know they need it for the social equation, right? If your kids don't have a mobile phone, they get teased these days. But God, even tonight, like I'm going to go back and reinforce some of the rules at home that sometimes get a little bit slack about mobile phones off at 8.30 or 9pm, depending on the kid's age, because it's just ruining their physiology.
1: I, it seems to me a no-brainer, uh, but I'm very careful to not jump out of my lane too much. You know, I read a lot of the science. Uh, to me, it seems that if, if you... If your behaviors are depressing biological processes in the body that are associated with disruption to mood disrupt increase irritability disruption to sleep um, things like uh, tryptophan and melatonin production are suppressed but uh, well, we know tryptophan it, if it becomes suppressed we also know that a lot of the uh, you know a lot of antidepressant drugs actually have tryptophan in them too, as an antidepressant. So it makes sense to me if you're depressing tryptophan through these behaviors, if you're altering melatonin, that in people who are prone, it's probably not everybody, but in people who are prone, you're perhaps increasing the risk of mood disturbance, anxiety, depression. Proving those things is incredibly difficult. So I think you can find these associations. But the physiologist in me, the coach in me, when I've worked with people who have had difficulty uh with sleep difficulty with mood difficulty concentrating when you go back to the beginning and you sort of really work hard and it takes about eight weeks to sort of really resynchronize their circadian patterns to get their daily routine consistent allow their biology to adapt um, allow their sleep to improve not just quantity but qu- uh, uh, quality of sleep and you actually come from the inside out with it then then a lot of mood issues that are transient become less prevalent you've got to be really careful though because it's you know it's not the same for everybody and
0: i know i'm just getting a bit wound up but. but, but i
1: do think there's a lot of common sense to what we say i just think that what the risk here is a little bit like the narrative we put in the population around you know if you have diabetes you must have done something wrong the reality is that some people do get diabetes and they've, Some done it's nothing. A genetic predisposition. they've done nothing wrong. They've had a predisposition and others can do everything wrong and not get it. And I think it is the same with many of these mood disorders. So we're just going to be careful that we don't stigmatise them. But your common sense of me would say, get your biological behaviour and biological things in synchrony as a starting point. And you're right. Our, our kids have no chance with this pumped up technology, sympathetic activation, 24 hours.
0: Unless um, unless we give them some good role modelling yeah, and, yeah. and try and coach them, teach them, nurture them in a better way. I said there were two parts before we got on to looking at circadian rhythm and mental health. The second one was, I got a message from a mate of mine from Dubbo, which said, no way, exclamation, this is on WhatsApp, The article is in The Australian on the weekend, Dance Over Drugs to Beat Depression. The world's most comprehensive study of exercise and depression has found, wait for it, physical activity, even at a low intensity, has about double the effect of antidepressants on improving low mood in the short... No way! Now, being facetious, at least we are seeing some of the research catch up with what we feel. Like, when you exercise, everyone listening to this, how do you feel? Wayne Bennett, the rugby league coach, talks about the first five steps, the first five passes, the first five strokes, the first five paddles. I really like that analogy. I've had multiple exercises, the first five lifts where you feel stuff this. But how many exercise sessions have you finished where you've ever gone, I wish I didn't do that? None. So you catch up with it because your body, this cacophony of clocks and all these hormones, we've been talking about dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine, all the catecholamines, uh, all the energy boosters that we're talking about, they fire up. So, hey, great to see science is actually coming out with that. But we've known that for years, those who exercise regularly. So look at a balance between research and also how you feel. And, And that's where I find we have a really nice dance. Yeah, we need some rigor. But also just what works for you. Now, Tom, let's get into circadian rhythm and mental health, and I'll I'll let you decide how we approach this one. But looking at the research on this, what is impacted by a poor circadian rhythm, and I choose that word impacted cautiously, is depression, anxiety, sad, seasonal affective disorder. It can increase for those people who have a predisposition to bipolar. Uh, it's got poor emotional regulation and decreased resilience, anger and irritability, decreased memory and poor learning and impulsivity and vulnerability to taking external substances. When you look at that list, you go, wow, body clock? Related to all that? Yeah, Cause that interrelationship between your body clock and sleep and energy levels. So how do you want to dice this up? And conscious of time, we could do a whole podcast on this. Do you want to pick one or two we can dive into?
1: I think I'm going to drop back to you to maybe think about some clients you've coached in this area. Because I think these are that's a very long list of disorders that are associated with circadian rhythm disturbance. But if you think about, think about some of the clients that we've worked with, where we've unpacked and gone back to try and resynchronize circadian pattern, usually starting early morning, often with you down, down the beach with them in cold water and, you know, exercising, getting sunlight and then then me monitoring to their sleep and looking at their physiology and effects. So I think maybe, maybe just focus on on those examples.
0: I'm thinking, and I I need to maintain confidentiality on this unless it's a client that we've written about or we've done a case study. Hey, I've got one. Thank you, I was just buying some time. Female executive we worked with started a new role, big role last year, stepped into that role came to me redlining in all other areas in a panic that she didn't have the resources, we would say the performance intelligence, which by definition is the ability to adapt your physical, your psychological and your emotional state and positively impact others. So she came to us with very low PQ, but she had a high enough EQ, emotional intelligence to know that she needed to do some work. That actually sounded a lot better than um, – I have to listen back to that. I've never said that before. <laughs> but this this lady appeared and we measured her blood markers, her hormone levels were, were shot, uh, her cortisol levels were up, her heart rate variability was terrible, her heart rate was up. So all the metrics we look at – have I missed anything on that?
1: Remember? And if I remember correctly, uh, was propping herself up with some –
0: Artificial substances that you drink every morning and afternoon and evening. Caffeine, other stimulants as well, like sugar. It was a great example of the big biological fuck up. I'm actually going to have to get her to listen to this. Haven't spoken to you for a while. Hello. How are you? This would be a great case study. One of the areas she was worried about is her memory. And she was really worried about memory recall because she was finishing up a previous role and then moving into the new role and when you go into to be a leader of a large organization global as well she was worried about context and ambiguity and navigating different time zones and borders so that's one area so interesting how you put that through the lens of a client because i'm just thinking my god there's so many examples when i look at this around learning and memory yes uh emotional regulation and resilience yes she said she was getting very Cranky and hostile, I think were her exact words, with her family and her children. And she was worried about that. And I think there was some borderline anxiety as well, thinking, oh, mother, you know, when Daffy Duck looks at the camera, mother, (laughs) in anticipation of what's coming up, it's normally Daffy gets flattened. And I think she had that as well. So, yeah, really interesting that, that those areas were presenting. Now, after a three-month program that extended over some of the holidays to about four or four and a half months. Do you remember when we came back and reassessed her?
1: I do. I do. And I think there's a, a really important message in there in that it, this isn't something you correct in a week or two. Um, this does take time. and But once you do unpack and you do re-synchronize your, your physiology, once you do take away some of the stimulants and add in more natural research, particular light, particular uh, exercise um, time in nature grounding you know when you do that actually your mental well-being for many many people is significantly better and how many clients have we worked with who who when they, they don't realize that they've been so comfortable uncomfortable, until you actually resynchronize everything
0: well their level of discomfort is not enough that they Prepared to change, and then we go right, we're gonna turn your life upside down. Cause they they realize they have enough awareness that I can't keep doing this because stuff's starting to give. It can be memory in this case, it can be physiology. A lot of men will come to us and 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 I totally, totally do not hide this as well. One of the reasons I want to stay match fit is to look good and to feel good. If you're up in front of an audience or even with your kids to be a role model, like I want to be lean and have a bit of strength as well. So that's one that often people come to us and say, Hey, I looked at in the mirror and i felt like a pile of shit. i had someone say to me a few weeks ago i said like what made you reach out i've known this guy for five plus years he said oh you're coaching a couple of my buddies in the in the group he's in and he said but i looked in the mirror after a swim on the on the weekend and i said you miserable pile of shit. <laughs> That was his exact thing so he was the physical lever on him that worked now when, when i go back that example or, or multiple examples and we look at this you, you've just really lit me up on this because Yeah, we see the changes in people's physicality. We see the changes after three or four months in the way they look. We definitely hear the changes in their voice and confidence. And when we get feedback from them and when we're coaching people around them and the the modelling that they're having, that, that social dynamics as well, And it's really interesting when you do look at the research on this. So I I know around memory, memory, recall and learning ability is better during certain phases of the circadian cycle. For most adults, this is morning. So understanding your what we call your personality type, your energy personality type will really help. I remember with this lady as well, she was more of a morning person. And we'll just let people know that before we go to the the final part and wrapping the morning wake up. But when I got her to do that high end cognitive work of a morning, after doing that circadian kickstart, sunlight moving, pushing coffee back. She just said, I feel quote like my productivity has tripled. So we know sleep has also influenced circadian rhythm. You mentioned that it has a crucial role in that memory consolidation. We call it the glymphatic, not lymphatic, but glymphatic system. Think of that like a whiteboard. And when you're coming up with new Models and content and and you know lots of stuff during the day. When you go to bed, that glymphatic system with a proper sleep, it helps you restore or put your memory into different areas where you can be in a meeting. And yeah, you know, this happens when you're running on a good physiological base. And you go, huh? after a presentation, sometime you're asked a question, where where the, where the, where the f did that come from? Yeah, you know, it's there for memory recall when you're looking at the system properly. And I know as well there's some research on circadian topology around emotional regulation metacognitive beliefs and assertiveness there's a a research paper on that i've looked at recently so i could get all nerdy with people as well but look there's research on all of these learning and memory emotional regulation and there's loads of stuff around depression as well that the list goes on and on
1: yeah certainly a lot of um, clients come to us around maintaining or enhancing memory and i think that's really really important that you're not trying to do that in isolation with Everything else we've just talked about, you know, about priming your body to to succeed or perform as best. Um, you, you, you've talked about chronotypes. I think it's really important that we acknowledge that, um, we, you know, we do have different chronotypes. And uh, while well, we can manipulate it, they, they are hard to change, but you can. And across the different phases of our, our, our life, you might find yourself lending either tomorrow morning or more an evening person. And you, you you've you've often talked to me about you know, parents and how their chronotypes change very quickly after they've had kids.
0: Oh, if you're an evening person and you've got four kids, you can't say to your kids, look, mummy or daddy's a bear, which I call the evening person, don't mm-hmm. suck it up and go feed yourself, get your own wheat, bits Milky and put your little gear on and get to kindy champ. Mm-hmm. like you're three now. Let, let's, let's talk about the different chronotypes or what I have been calling energy personality and then we'll go to wrapping up. We've already spoken about the daily reset, but let's really frame that and give people... A step-by-step guide on what to do every single day. Now, before you do that, this is a really good lead-in, Dr. Tom, thank you. I used to say there's three basic energy personalities or chronotypes, and there's a fair bit of research, or there's a lot of research around this. Gazelles, bears, tigers, and we've recently added dolphins. So let's go through each one. Gazelles is purported to be around 15 to 20% of the population. They are the early risers with the peak concentration during a morning. Now you know this, the gazelles are walking around parks, plains, ovals and terrains, and you see them, they go, morning, and they wave. <laughs> gazelles are the, the morning people, they get into work at seven thirty, eight 8am, and they say that to everyone else coming in, good morning, and wizard, I know you're a bear. So when a gazelle says to you, good morning, what do you think? Leave me alone. You're an idiot. He's being polite. So let's say about fifteen to twenty percent of people are gazelles. You wake up five five thirty a.m. Your best cognitive processing capacity is first thing of the morning. After lunch, you're shot. So try and gear your wake up based on that circadian personality, and you'll be much more productive. Now, the opposite of gazelles is bears, like wizard said. That's about ten to fifteen percent. We think, and, and some of the research Tom calls this the owl. Their peak concentration occurs from late afternoon through to the evening. Now, when you work in a team and we talk about diversity, this is the missing link in diversity. People talk about sexual preference, having a balance of age, a balance of different race, a balance of different backgrounds, all really important. But what about a balance or diversity in your chronobiology? Uh, it works really well in a small mm-hmm. team like ours mm-hmm. you know, you and I will be up first thing of the morning and then we get our work done and then Wizard will be tapping away at night while we're asleep. So it's actually good for productivity. Now, a tiger, you're probably listening to this and going, well, I've got bits of gazelle in me and I've got bits of bear in me. So the tiger is a hybrid. So tigers will get up generally about 6, 6.30. They're good of a morning. They'll have a really good concentration shift around 10, 30 or 11, get to lunch and then crash. We talk about that 2.30 or 3 p.m. after lunch crash. Then you'll have a second wind. So there's two concentration curves. So if you're listening to this, I go, are you a gazelle, a bear, a tiger, or we've just added dolphin. Dolphins are the insomniacs. And just like a dolphin will sleep with half of its brain awake and the other half alert, obviously when it's floating around, you know, it doesn't want to get taken by a predator and then it will switch it around. Dolphins the analogy on that is they go to bed and their brains are still running. Now, we've got a whole process we give to people if you're a dolphin. So if you are a dolphin, please connect to me, either via the podcast or social media, and we'll send you a dolphin pack, and we'll show you how to try and get on top of that insomnia. Now, it's very complex, very personal, very deep, but there's a couple of strategies that do help a number of people around that. So stepping back, are you a gazelle, a morning person? Are you a bear, an evening person who thinks gazelles suck up until about 10 o'clock? Or are you a tiger that's a hybrid or both? Or are you the insomniac, the dolphin we spoke about? Now, why is this important? If you look at research around this into what they call flow, which is that intersection between you're being stretched and you're being challenged. So you're doing your best work when time transcends. And Some of the sports psych research is really starting to argue around this, showing you don't need to be in flow to have optimal performance, but we'll leave that for another podcast. But you know, you do get times where you get into flow and it just feels like you're in rhythm. Yeah, when you align your chronobiology with high end cognitive tasks, you'll get 30 to 35 percent more done, so you can literally turbocharge your productivity by working towards that rhythm. And, and you know, I do this, I know you do this, Ange does it, Wizard does it. I actually ask people now when they join us, either as a full-time member or a consultant, are you a gazelle, bear, tiger or dolphin? They think I'm an idiot, I explain it. Oh, I'm a, And you can be like a tiger bear or you can be a gazelle tiger, you can sort of be on the edges. It makes a huge difference in productivity. So yeah, I'm glad you asked that one.
1: Yeah, and i think there's when you look at the the literature on chronotypes i think there's three influences there uh, one, one is age we spoke earlier how things change in age and our teenage years especially um you know become, very much become night owls but so age as we as we age it changes and across our age. but there's a genetic underpinning to our chronotype so i think if we can understand that and use it to our advantage like you speak about but really really importantly Daily light exposure is absolutely critical to your chronotype as well. So I think we just be really aware of, yes, we have this genetic predisposition and it will change across our lifespan, uh, but the consistent one is using light. To, to reset it and to optimise it. Yeah,
0: such a good point to close out because if you're a tiger and you have to do a keynote presentation after lunch, so I'm a gazelle tiger, so after lunch is a dead spot for me. If I get up and go, oh, hello, everybody, Maisie, bit of a gazelle tiger, not great after lunch, hang in there, got a three-hour workshop, <laughs> I'll be heaps funnier after afternoon tea. You know, half the audience going to think you suck straight away. Mm-hmm. So you have to shift and, and we know, you know movement, music, caffeine or tea in moderation, getting the right foods, protein, not having simple carbs and sugar, uh, music. So there's a lot of levers you can pull to get up at the right time. All right, let's get into the fourth part on today on our zipping and zagging and zooming and zigging conversation around circadian rhythm and how it really leads to increasing energy. This morning circadian reset Dr. Andrew Huberman recently called circadian rhythm one of the most powerful forces within us, and morning sunlight is the most powerful driver of circadian rhythm entrainment.
1: Yeah, I thought if we could bottle it up and sell this morning sunlight as a pill, eh? Um, in the same way as you can bottle it up and put in a cup of your coffee. It is. It is. is phenomenally important, and, and researchers are are more and more showing that at the heart of so much of our human performance is, is our circadian rhythm and our bio, biotox and our behaviours that affect them. I agree with him. I think it's this is a conversation we should be having with every teenager, not that they would listen, but we certainly need to have multiple times across our life as a, as a reminder that we're not just accidentally plodding our way through the day. There is actually a master plan.
0: Teenagers wouldn't listen if they're yours, if there's others they might listen, you know. <laughs> I find, yeah, <laughs> find, yeah, uh, other kids, so other friends' kids listen to me. They'll go, oh, I'll talk to Andy, whereas my kids are like, oh, you're just dad. Um, so, yeah, use that lever who is influential amongst your kids. Hey, Wiz, we'll put the daily circadian reset up on the show notes. I'll talk it through, Tom. About six months since I've checked in with you on this, I'm curious whether this still holds or like the work we do. I love putting that, that rigor through it. A lens, is there anything you want to add? So we talk about five key components to reset your daily clock. Every day, number one, view bright light for 10 to 30 minutes. We've gone through the utility on that. Sunlight is 50 times more effective on your skin than it is through a window. So just get out and get in the sun. So bright light for 10 to 30 minutes, 10 minutes on a bright blue sunny day, 30 minutes if it's overcast. I want to come back to you and talk about the Nordic States in a moment. Two, move the body just To get going, it's not heavy intensity exercise, lifting heavy weights, interval training. Just move, go for a walk. If you don't have a dog, find someone else's. You know, just, just go find <laughs> something interesting. And and you stack those two together, right? It's, it's a habit stack. You walk in the sun, delay caffeine for 60 to 90 minutes first thing of the morning. Where's what's that noise again? I can hear the booing and the groaning, the, the crowd who is still with us, Dr. Tom, they've gone wild. So that. When you do this, and again, we've had hundreds, possibly thousands of clients we've worked with the past few years since we've introduced this protocol, who come back, when you first told me to push caffeine back 60 to 90 minutes, I thought you were. I thought this was the, the worst program ever. One lady said, I've never heard of anything more ludicrous. I said, how do you feel? She said, amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So just try it. Go into this with open eyes and arms. Push your caffeine back for 60 to 90 minutes. If you are exercising, intense exercise, you can still have your caffeine first thing of the morning because it might help you wake up and get going. But don't tell Dr. Tom I said that. Four, I'd have some cold exposure. Cold exposure I mean by a cold shower. We've done a whole podcast on ice bath. Interesting, isn't it, the research out on that, Dr. Tom? Is it good because it makes you feel good in the psychology or is it good because of what it's actually doing to you? Have to listen to the podcast to find out. But a three to six minute cold shower, I'll shorten that to three minutes in your normal shower. So how you do this is have a shower first thing of the morning. You've got your sunlight, you've gone for a walk, so you're doing wonders to get all those beautiful hormones powering up in your system that we've spoken about. Then wash all your your hair bits if you need to have hair. And then turn it on to cold and do breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. If you're not sure, listen to a podcast or Google diaphragmatic breathing, relax, and then have the cold water on for three minutes. And the other one we've added on this is the night before, where possible, because a lot of people listen to this as shift workers and it's realistic, but try and avoid bright light from 9 or 9.30 p.m. So let's summarise. Number one, first thing of the morning, bright light for 10 to 30 minutes. Two, move the body for 20 to 30 minutes. A medium or low intensity, just move. Three, push caffeine back 60 to 90 minutes. Try it. You might be jumping out of your skin like a few clients who we've mentioned today. Four, cold shower. Three minutes inside your normal shower. Breathe before you do it. And five, the night before, if you're not working, if you're not doing shift work. Try and wind everything down from nine or 9.30. Does that still hold?
1: I think it still holds. I think in the context of body clocks and circadian rhythms, what's... what that's not going to work if you do it for three four nights or even five nights and then at the weekend you throw it all out the window and then you go again you're going to get some benefit absolutely but you're not going to get long-term benefit or long-term recession of your circadian rhythm you really do have to have a daily set routine when it comes to some of those habits of bright sunlight getting up at the same time going to bed at the same time especially if you're part of probably 60% of the population who are running against their normal circadian body clock, um, I think there's probably about 30 to 40% of the population who this isn't a problem for. It. But if you're in that 60% where it's a problem for it, you have got to get a routine going. And we know, we know that you need to do that for about eight weeks. We know that one or two weeks and then go, oh, but Andrew or Dr. Tom, this isn't doing it. Well, no, we have to keep going because... You you've probably spent 30, 40, 50 years screwing up your physiology. It's not going to reverse in one or two weeks. It's going to take eight, maybe even 10 weeks before you can actually reset it.
0: And if you go back and listen, or if you remember the client that I was talking about and multiple clients when Tom and I do a whole deep dive and increasing their performance intelligence, their PQ, it starts at three months. Now, can I, can I just add on that? So I've added, you know, view bright light one, two, move the body for 20 to 30 minutes, delay caffeine 60 to 90 cold shower in amongst your normal shower, breathe before, otherwise you will scream um, for three minutes and avoid bright light if you can the night before from 9 or 9.30pm. We'll add consistency. I like the 80% rule with our clients and I think that applies to this as well. If you do that 80% of the time, that factors in for you might have young kids, that factors in for you might be doing some international travel, that factors in for stuff pops up. Because what I don't want people taking out of this, Tom, is going, oh God, I've, I've mucked it up. Two nights in a row, I may as well just throw it all out and go back. If you do what we talk about in this podcast, eighty percent of the time, you're going to be in a really good spot.
1: Yeah, no, I would agree with that, and I think you know, just from this podcast, our discussions too with that, you know, we talked about we talked about coffee and caffeine, but of course, nicotine and alcohol also desynchronize your circadian rhythm. So just just you know, just be aware of. The effects it may be having on you. Be aware of: Are you actually de- using it as a dependency, or are you actually using it as an additional boost? But I think you're right. If we, if you could get those basic building blocks in place, you certainly your physiological and your psychological resilience would be significantly boosted, and I would imagine the quality of your sleep would be significantly boosted. And going alongside that, of course, is your 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 well being, your your mental well being.
0: So today we've spoken about what circadian rhythm is and why it's so important. We've spoken about that interrelationship between circadian rhythm, between sleep and between energy output and the symphony of clocks in the body. We've introduced everyone to beef up the big biological fuck up. Specifically today, we dug into social jet lag, exposure theory, and then how this relates to mental health. I love the recall and the the thought bubbles I was having when you you mentioned to go back to one or two clients. So rich. And then we spoke about the protocol, the morning circadian reset. So I'm going to throw you to wrap up, Dr. Tom Buckley. Final message. Final whimsical bit of advice for people.
1: I think. Just try and keep your biological clock in sync. And and if you do, you should then be getting enough sleep, um, you know, and you, and you have a better chance of, of being healthier, happier, more productive. Um, just remember the, the the biggest lever out there is sunlight. It doesn't cost you anything. It's there, it's free. It is challenging to get to it in some circumstances, and I really do appreciate that.
0: And it moves. I find it's hard. Some days I can't find it, and other days of the year it's not where it was. But so I'll talk to you about that another time.
1: Well, you don't need the sun. You just need light. That was so a really, you,
0: really bad joke, and you just a really bad joke. That. T- totally missed that. <laughs> Thomas, end yourselves. <laughs> 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 no, we love leaving it in. Hey, thank you. And I look forward to coming back for part two, where we'll talk about circadian rhythm and jet lag, and part three where we'll talk about circadian rhythm and shift work. And I I really do see a use of all those three because we've just had so many conversations. I'm often asked, how do you come up with ideas for the podcast? Often it's, what are we talking to people about? And what am I spending weekends and sometimes late at night stuffing up my biological clock or my social factors, getting information to people? So we record it in a podcast. It's there for everyone. Dr. Tom, thank you very much for today. My
1: pleasure, Andrew. It's always been, always fun.